We've got about nine pages of note tonight. <laughs> Lord willing, we'll get through them. <laughs> I, I think it's all in the way that I set my columns up and stuff like that. I don't think there's actually that much material there. It's just Anyway. We've got plenty to cover, so I think we'll get right into it. This covers two chapters, chapters 36 and chapters 37, pages 167 through 174. That's in the complete green letters written by uh, J. Miles Stanford or Miles J. Stanford or whatever it is, one of the Stanford boys. Um, This one tonight is entitled The Process of Confirmation. And that's not confirmation, it's conformation. It's changing us into the likeness or image of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son. Con for the word alike and with, and form as obviously form, confirmation to make it like his. Okay. And the first thing I want to do is make sure that everybody understood that's what the chapter was because I don't, I don't think sometimes he does a good job of explaining what it is he's titled a chapter for, conformation, but he doesn't use that much through the, the text. So I want to make sure that we have a scriptural basis for what we think So let's look to the Lord in prayer. We'll get right to it. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for his life, his his death, his burial, his resurrection. And thank you that we're in process right now. Thank you that in his ascension, he's seated right beside you right now. And that we are in him, seated with him tonight. Even though we are located here, we're never more than a thought or a prayer away. Thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ is with us. We ask this now, Father, because of who you are, that by your Holy Spirit you'll open our minds and hearts to understand the things freely given us of the Lord God. Thank you for what you're doing in each one of us. We'll ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. All right. First, we'll start with Romans 8, 29, and 30. Here's what it says. For whom he foreknew, that's what he's saying about you, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, I want you to note this, that predestination is about what you're going to be like. It's, it's not about election. It's not about choice. Predestination is about what you're going to be like, okay? So you're predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. If you're wondering what you're going to be like when you get to heaven, you're going to be like his son, and he is working now to conform you every day to that image. He wants you to think like him. He wants you to will like him. He wants you to do everything just like he does. So he provides circumstances and events so that that will develop in you. Okay, so that's what you're, that's what you're going through in life. There, it's not a puzzle. It's not a mystery about what's going on with you. Everything that's happening, whether you understand the event or not, is made so that you will respond just like Jesus would. You say, that's impossible. I don't know how Jesus would do it. Hold it. Remember what happened when you were born again? He put Jesus in you. So, yes, you can respond just like Jesus. You say, well, I won't do it perfectly. No, you're right. As long as you're in this flesh, you won't do it perfectly. 
But look at this, guys. He guaranteed your future by saying, this isn't the flesh you're going to have in the future. He has a resurrection plan for us so that we will be with him and be like him in body. Matter of fact, let's, let's look at a couple of other things it says here. Romans eight twenty nine again. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Or Philippians 3.10. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. So what he's doing, he's he's making you conform to the death of Christ so that you can conform to the life of Christ. Fair enough? He's got to take care of something in us that isn't right so he can give us something in us that is right. So he's got to take care of the old man first to give us the new man. He's not going to give us the new man without first crucifying the old man. That thing which was opposed to God, that that thing which you cannot reform, you can't renovate, you've got to completely start again. Okay, so you got it. Philippians 3.20 then, he says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body. Now, get that. He's going to take this lowly body that you got, this, this thing that's uh, this stuff here, and he's going to transform it. Now, look what it is, that it may be conformed to his glorious body. So, in other words, your body is going to be like his body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Then Hebrews 2 reminds us of the flesh of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was conformed to us. So, listen to what it says. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he's not ashamed to call them brethren. So he is taking on flesh just like us. Verse Hebrews 2.14 then says it this way, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. So he became one of us, so he could conform us to one of them. Hebrews 2.17. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So the Lord Jesus, being just like us, is now interceding for us uh, as a merciful and faithful high priest. John said it this way, Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as it is. That's confirmation. We're being conformed to him. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. Now, look, if that's what you're looking forward to, you're purifying yourself. You follow that? It's in Jesus coming again, it's not simply that you're looking for him to come again and get you out of this mess. No, he's going to make you just like him when he comes again. So when he gets here, the resurrection body you have is going to look just like his. Now, I don't know if that means it's going to have the marks of the crucifixion in you. I don't know if it's going to be marks in your side. I don't know that. 
But I know whatever he's like, we'll be like him. So whatever kind of body he's got, the same kind of body we got. Uh, details about that, I don't know. All right. But I know this, that if that's what you're looking forward to, Jesus coming back again, you'll purify yourself. You'll be keeping yourself pure. Romans 12.1, listen to what he says here to this one. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So what you're doing, you're taking all your members here, you're taking every part of your hands, your eyes, everything about you, you're presenting them to the Lord Jesus Christ that the Lord, that the Holy Spirit can conform you to, to make those hands just like Jesus' hands, to make those eyes just see what Jesus sees, to make your ears hear as Jesus hears. And do not be conformed to this world. <clears throat> so there's an image you don't want to be like. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So something's going to metamorphose you, take you from being the caterpillar that you are, and make you into the butterfly you're going to be. Does that make sense? He's metamorphosing you by the renewing of your mind. He's teaching you to think new ways, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So what I hope you wanted, what I hope to see, have you see with me on this, is that being conformed to Jesus is the will of God. That is what he's doing. That's what he's doing in you. That's what he's attempting to uh, give you every one of these uh, uh, circumstances and events that are in your life that you might pray like Jesus prayed. Well, more about that in a minute. Why believers fail to live the new life. Now, your author said that there were three reasons why believers failed to lead, lead the new life. Number one was lack of knowledge. Many Christians know only the first half of the truth of their salvation. Christ died for them, his substitutionary death. It seems like, and here's, here's why the gospel is so important, it seems like once people understand that Christ's death for them has guaranteed a place for them in heaven, they're done. That's, that's all they need because from there on, they're just trying to live the Christian life. That's not true. That's only one half of this gospel presentation. It's only one half of the good news. The one half of the good news is Christ died for your sins. That is absolutely true. But it's not simply to get you to heaven. That's not his goal. His goal is to make a new people. Why? They're going to share the kingdom with him. They are going to be just like him. So um, many Christians fail to live the new life because they only know one half of, the, Christ, of the, the gospel. But many do not know the truth concerning their union with the Lord Jesus Christ in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. It's important for us to know that we have a union with him in his death. That's not simply Christ dying for us to pay for our sins. He is taking our old man and putting it on the cross with him. That old man, that, that thing that creates sin in us, has been crucified with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's dead. Everybody follow me? He's dead. He's not alive. His old nature, the nature of what he was is there. It's, it's kind of like this wood right here. Uh, this looks to be oak to me. And as this oak, I know that this has the nature of oak in it. However, it's dead. 
this will never bloom. This will never have bark on it. This is all it's going to be. It's now being used for what it's going to be used for. It's going to hold people up as they sit here. But it's dead. Everybody follow me? It's not an oak tree anymore. And that same thing, the old man that's in you is dead. He's not active anymore. The nature of it is there. This has still got the grain like an oak. It's hardwood like an oak. It has all of that to it, but it's not living. And this old man in us has been crucified in order that we can be justified. He's getting rid of that guy. If that guy was still around, then Christ died in vain. He's not still with us. All right. Let me go on to the next part. <clears throat> you are in a union with Christ about that death, burial, and resurrection. You died with him when he died. It isn't just simply he's one doing all the dying. He is the one doing the dying. But you died with him. He's taking you with him. Too few Christians realize their identification with him. If we died with Christ, that means we also must have risen with Christ. Why do we rise with Christ? To be a new people. All right? So we were crucified to get rid of the old guy in us, and we're, we're in a union identification with his resurrection so that we become new people, all right? This is mainly due to the fact that the identification truth have long been a neglected teaching in schools, churches, and homes. I agree with him. That's why I'm trying to correct that. I want to make sure that we're getting that taught because this is the secret to the Christian life, as if there's a secret. This is the truth about the Christian life, your union and identification with the Lord Jesus Christ. He said the second reason, first reason is why believers fail to live in the new, the new life is lack of knowledge. Second reason, misapplied knowledge. There are those who know this truth and even understand their union with Christ's death, but set about to produce the results of that union by self-effort, by self-effort. We're trying to do it ourselves. We're trying to do uh, this, this work as if our old self could somehow do the work of being a Christian. We don't. We can't. If they could do that, there is no point in Jesus Christ dying and being raised again from the dead. No point in it. The whole point is nothing about us could contribute to our justification. Nothing about us could contribute to our future. Nothing about us had anything to offer God. He is offering us grace because we're ruined things. He's offering us grace to make us new things. All right? <clears throat> Let's go to the next page then. The work of conforming a believing one to the image of Christ is the work of the Holy Spirit. Why must it be the work of the Holy Spirit? Because there's nothing in us that could produce holiness. There's nothing in us that could make us godly. It's going to take God to make us godly. And the, the part of the Trinity that is doing that work is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who's making these things real to us. It's the Holy Spirit that's conforming us to the image of the Son. If self-effort could accomplish that, there is no reason for Christ to come at all. We just simply, he'd say, here's the new standard. I want you to live this way now. And we would, by self-effort, be living that way. It doesn't work that way. That's not what he did. 
The believer's responsibility and privilege is to exercise faith in the facts of our identification and to walk in dependence on the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Okay? So the believer's responsibility and privilege is to exercise faith in the facts of our identification and to walk in dependence on the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. We are to be thinking about all the time our new life in Christ. You say, wow, man, you, you can't do that all the time. You've got to be thinking about something else. Every moment that you know, like uh, last week when I was tell, saying at the end of the message that people are using what's called the Jesus prayer. Uh, and that's, that's not a new thing at all. It's ancient. And just simply said this, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Well, you, can, you can have anything you want at the end of that. Lord Jesus Christ, open my eyes. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, open my eyes. Or Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on so-and-so. Today, uh, one of the, uh, I guess they're rehab workers. Uh, you know, today was cardiac rehab day. And I, one of the workers there came up and said, uh, Hey, Pastor, I'd like, I'd like for you to pray for my brother. Oh, what's going on? Well, he had a stroke. Oh, and he lives in Oklahoma by himself on a farm. And his, um, his house is a quarter of a mile from his gate. And down there they keep the gates open, you know, locked and all that sort of thing because too many people steal cattle and do all kinds of things. He had the stroke in his house and somehow managed to crawl all the way to the gate after he called 911 because he didn't want the ambulance uh, having to come through the gate that's locked. They couldn't get through the gate anyway, and he didn't, he didn't. So he crawled all the way down to that gate, unlocked the gate, then went through the gate, sat outside waiting for the ambulance to come, locked it all back up again. Wow, I thought, man, that's a lot. I don't see how he did it with a stroke. I mean, it, it's hard to move with that. Well, this one gave him just overall weakness, but not, he's, she said he's, this morning he's now weaker on his right side. So the stroke is still having its, its effect. But uh, she was saying, pray for him. That was an opportunity for me. I'm, I'm on the treadmill now. That was an opportunity for me to say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, bring healing to Dean. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, bring healing to Dean. Now, I know that sounds like a, that is learning to pray without ceasing. Because look what I'm, I'm doing when I say that. And that's why I've, I've come to appreciate this. I'm saying already, Lord, I'm acknowledging his godship, his divinity. I'm acknowledging his master over me. I'm acknowledging his sovereignty over all things in this world. Jesus, I'm acknowledging that he is God come in the flesh. Christ, I'm acknowledging that he is a son of uh, or I'm acknowledging that he is God's chosen one to carry out the mission of the Messiahship. He is the Son of God. That's his eternity. He's always been the Son of God. He'll always be the Son of God. I'm, I'm bringing all those things back into my mind again. I'm thinking about those things. And all those things bring up to me that I am to abide in Christ and his words to abide in me. So as I'm learning to pray without ceasing that way, I'm always bringing up the Lord Jesus Christ. 
uh, every spare minute I've got, I'm bringing them up. And it's helping me remember to pray at, at any given time. Now, by doing so, I'm accepting by faith my identification with Christ. Is that making sense to you? I'm accepting the facts of what he's done. So um, that's misapplied knowledge. You can't do this by self-effort. That's misapplied knowledge. And the third thing he said was why believers don't live the new life is unbalanced knowledge. Many believers know more about the work of the cross, that is, crucifying the old man, than they do about the new life in the risen Christ. We often leave it. We'll, we'll speak about some group of people who always are leaving the, the, the Jesus on the cross. We'll speak about they're not understanding that the work is done. Well, our crosses are always empty. But it doesn't seem that we ever get Jesus to the tomb and out again. Does that make sense? Because we're always thinking about what Christ died for us. But we've got to remember this Christ rose for us. That's where the new life is. As long as we're thinking about just Christ dying for us, we're seeing ourselves as sinners who need a Savior. Once I see that I'm risen with Christ, I'm a new person. And a new thing is happening with me. As long as I keep focusing on the old, I will keep that thing activated. It now has power because that's where my thoughts are. I'm thinking about Christ dying for me. I'm thinking about what a bad person I am. I'm thinking about how I sin, how I fail him, all that. And I'm back here with that. I I just haven't been able to get him to the tomb so that I can get him out of the tomb. (laughs) Is that making sense? This is, um, it's, it's a difficult thing. Anyway, for those believers, though the old man is crucified, they think of him as still very active in their lives. And they go through the frustrating and futile work of trying to defeat him by themselves. Now look, uh, well, let's go on because I want you to see, your author was so right about this. And I've, um, he, said, he went on to say this, this is a failing effort, but it is a necessary work of the Holy Spirit to bring the failing believer to realize that living in and relying on the old nature is sin, not just disappointing inconvenience. Now, as long as I'm back here with what I was describing a few minutes ago, working on, on this old nature and this sin stuff and trying to fight the sin and trying to fight and talking about how bad I am and so on and so forth, as long as I'm back here, I will always have futile and frustrating efforts at trying to defeat sin, trying to defeat the things that, uh, that come up in my life, trying to say, oh, God's having to punish me again because I'm, I'm, I've not been good. You know, I've Failed to go to church three weeks in a row, and what do you know? Now my, my car needs a new transmission. What? I, those don't, don't necessarily go. What we've got to do, guys, is start understanding that this, the, um, depending on that old man and the self-effort is sin. It's not just a, um, a, a thing to change somewhere. Else. It's sin. This is grieving the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, I believe that comes up in... Uh... No, we'll go on. The years of struggle and failure have not been wasted, though, but have been governed by his loving hand. 
to prepare the hungry heart for the blessed exchange. You know, I, I always think it's fun when I go back and I read Genesis chapter 2, and God makes Adam. And then he takes Adam, and he brings all the animals to Adam. And he wants Adam to name them. You think of all the, <laughs> the things that Adam could be doing. What in the world is he doing that for? Well, here's what you're going to know. As Adam is naming those animals, when the animals come, there is Mr. Rhinoceros, and there is Mrs. Rhinoceros. There's Mr. Elephant, and there's Mrs. Elephant. There's the chicken, and there's the rooster. And as he goes through naming these things, he's understanding everything's got a partner but me. I don't have a partner. Why don't I have a partner? I'd like to have a partner. Everything else has got something. Everything else is told to bring things into this world again, and they've got to have a male and a female to do it. Then why don't I? You know what the next thing is he does? He puts Adam in a deep sleep and <laughs> takes a rib and makes woman. Why? God made him hungry to have a partner so that he's ready to receive a partner. Everything else has got a partner. Now he's got a partner. And God made him hungry for it. If God wants you to know how to live the new life, he's got to make you hungry for it. And the greatest way to make us hungry for it is to make us miserable with the old way. You know, there's nothing like um, when, when you are finally, uh, I, you know, I, I think I would have taken my uh, pickup that I had for years well into the rapture with me if it could have gone. It was, it was my favorite vehicle. I loved it. It had been my portable university. It had a CD player in it, and I could play CDs. It had um, uh, a, a Bluetooth connection so I could play things off of YouTube. It had all kinds of things in it. I had all my equipment in it and so forth, but it was rusting. And, and finally, when that got hit from the rear end, and now it, it revealed just how bad that rust had been. It bent the frame up. So now I'm ready to get rid of, you know, every time I look at that car, <laughs> that poor truck, and the fender's bent in, and the whole back end is bent in, and it's just not pretty anymore. It wasn't, I'm now ready to, to have something else. You follow where I'm coming from? And when God wants us to want the new person, to want the new life. He's got to make us miserable with the old one. So if you're one of those who are saying, I don't think I'll ever be a good Christian. I'm so frustrated and so futile, I can't do anything. You're in a good place, not a bad place. Because that means you're ready to stop self-effort and you're ready now to receive the Holy Spirit's work in you of conforming you to the image of his Son. Once again, he's got to get that bad thing taken care of so that the good thing is there. All right. He's been watching over you. Now, listen, listen let's go through this again. That old man that was in us, that, that frustrating part, right? That's Romans 7, where the, Paul is saying, I'm frustrated with this. I, I, I want to do the right thing. I, I just set to do the right thing, and then 
I do the wrong thing. And, oh, wretched man that I am, who would deliver me from this? Then listen to this. I thank God through the Lord Jesus Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation. Now get this. While you're struggling with that self-effort stuff, you're not under condemnation. Jesus covered your condemnation. So while you're here failing and flailing around and struggling and frustrated and doing the futile stuff, you're not being condemned for it. You're being governed through it. That's part of the process that he's got to use to get you. I mean, if, if Israel's going to ever love the promised land, he's got to get them to slavery, then get them out of slavery, and then into the wilderness. Nothing like going camping for a while, like 40 years, to make you want to have a house. You follow what I'm saying? Nothing like eating manna all the time to make you love to eat biscuits and gravy. Some good beef, maybe a mutton stew. Nothing like that. He's got to make you hungry for it, where you finally, that's what you want. And that's, that's the process. Notice that, let's take the children of Israel in the, in the wilderness. He said, do you not see that I've taken care of you for 40 years now? Your shoes didn't rot off your feet. Your clothing stayed where it was. I took care of you. I fed you that whole time. I gave you water that whole time. I took care of you. See that I did that? That's the same way he's doing with us as we're going through this futility of trying to do things the old way. He's he's still governing us. He's watching over us. He's preparing our hearts for it. All right. Because there's a blessed exchange coming. The believer is to see Christ as the model for the life he is to live. Christ submitted himself fully to the Father to fashion him as the Christ. Now, I want you to think when we we through that. I had mentioned last week that Jesus learned he was the Christ. You follow? And that's what he did. Because with perfect faith in his Father, going through the schools he had to go through, just like every Jewish boy did, he's reading the Scriptures and he's convinced in those scriptures he is this person he's reading about. And the Father's convincing him. Is that cool or what? He's convincing him, you are that Christ. And as that Christ, he is, Christ is submitting to the Father, do in me what you wish. I'll, I'll do whatever you say to do. And because he's now fully obedient to the Father, fully in faith, he's fashioning himself, that's what we're supposed to be. That's the model for us. That we, when we can learn to back off from self-effort and stop condemning ourselves and throwing rocks at ourselves but finally get miserable with living the old way, then he's ready to give us the new way. And he's ready to say, will you follow me now? Quit working and let me work in you. All right? So to the believer is to live the exact same way Jesus did not try to be the Messiah. He simply believed his Father for everything. He didn't have to try to be the Messiah. He is the Messiah. The Father needed to have him to know that. The new life is an exchange life. Listen to what he said here. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What do we call that? We call that imputation. That's, a, that's a, a good theological word for it. What we mean is this. 
that here comes Christ living a fully righteous life. Here am I with a fully sinful life. So what Christ is going to do is take my fully sinful life on himself. That's imputation. It's imputed to him. So he's going to take it on. So Christ now becomes sin for me. And because he's sin, he has to die. That's why he's going to die on that cross. That may be why it was so, so short at the period of time. But he lays down his life on the cross. He's dying for me. He's dying for you. That imputation of my sin to him paid for my sin in full. But now watch. When he's raised again from the dead, it's now imputing his righteousness to me. So now I have all of Christ's righteousness. That's the exchanged life. I'm exchanging my sinful life to Christ. Christ is dying for that sinful life. He's being raised again from the dead, and he's giving me the righteousness of God. That's not me working something out. That's the righteousness of God. All I'm having to do is believe him. I trust him. I trust that I am now the righteousness of God in him. Not because I think I'm a really cool guy, but because he said in First or Second Corinthians five twenty one that he made sin, him to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. All right, let's go on to the next one. Second Corinthians five fourteen. Listen to what it says there. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus that if one died for all, how many died? All died, and he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So they're making an exchange. His death, and now he gives them his life. That's the exchange. This all-important realization, the failure of the believer to defeat the old nature by himself, provides the necessary hatred of the old man and the desire not for change, but for exchange. Not for change, but for exchange. You're not looking to change, because you're, you're coming to realize, once you come to this point, you're coming to realize, I'll never change. No matter what I do, I'm never going to change. Or you've come to where Paul said, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver from me this body of death? Okay? You're not looking for a change. You're looking for an exchange. Then, then Lord, take this life from me and give me another one. Or as David put it in, in Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Okay? That's, that's what it's going to take. It's going to take the work of God to create something new in us. All right? So it's the desire not for change but for exchange. Exchanging the old life for the new eternal life of Christ. The horrible old relinquished for the holy new. The horrible old relinquished for the holy new. I, I hope you're following along with me on the notes because I'm, I'm trying to go slow enough that I can give you the, the blanks that there are also. In the tomb, we were dead. Then in Christ, risen, in Christ risen, we were totally regenerated, not just renovated or reformed. There was not a way to take the ruined thing of the old man and make him new you got to crucify the old man. And that's what he did with Christ Jesus in order for the new life to take place. Knowing the old life. When the believer's knowledge of Christ as his new life is insufficient or in error, 
when you're not thinking about Christ the right way, he more or less abides in the old nature because that is all he knows by experience. You don't have any place else to go. It's the default. Um, There are a lot of electrical equipment and so forth. It's set up with the default that if, if something misfires or doesn't go right here, it defaults to another system. To keep the system alive, it's not going to work properly. It keeps the system alive, but it doesn't work properly. Okay? It's the default. It's the only thing you know. You, you, you don't have anything else you can dream up, so it's all that you know. All right. <clears throat> this old life is his only focus because that is all he knows. It is his default. The more he dwells on that source, the more it is activated. In other words, the harder you try. Old Westerns, there was always one great fear in an old Western. Well, that's, that's when you were running along and you found quicksand. If you ran into a quicksand pit, then, boy, you were just going to start sinking down. The more you used an effort, the faster you sunk. So they'd say, don't be kicking around. Don't be doing anything. Here, take this rope, and I'll pull you back out of there. Or if it was the bad guy, and the bad guy fell into quicksand, you didn't throw him a rope. You know, you just let him go ahead and kick around and stuff until he went into quicksand. The longer we spend on the old life, the more activated it becomes. And some people will try harder. They'll, they'll, they'll make up their mind to do more things. I, I remember there was... Um, one particular young lady, she had, uh, she had a rough life. She grew up rough, and she had chosen a wardrobe that made her to be what she thought was attractive. And so she would wear that attractive type stuff. Soon as she came to know Christ, it, she decided she was not going to do that anymore. So she, her dresses now were all, all the way to the ground. And that made her feel like she was holy. That's not what holy is. And, and after a while, she started realizing, wait a minute, that's, this really isn't making me any holier, is it? I said, no, you can decorate the outside. It's not that you, you don't want to be modest, but this, this is not what made you holy. Christ made you holy. You, you may want to change, and sometimes people try to... Um, compensate for a former life by going just the opposite direction. And they'll do just as much in the opposite direction as they can, and they'll try harder. And matter of fact, they'll even start condemning other people who are following that. Oh, boy, it gets, it's miserable after a while, all right? All right. Um, so the reason I'm saying it, the more that he dwells on that source, the more it's activated. The more that you um, do things that you believe are holy, the worse it's going to become for you. Knowing the new life, when the old life within becomes intolerable, intolerable, it is time to become acquainted with the new life. When the old life within becomes intolerable, it's time to become acquainted with the new. The key to living the new eternal life in Christ is knowing the new, knowing Christ. Now, I've talked a lot here. Anybody got any questions or thoughts or anything you want to bring up before we proceed any further? You think, you think you're grabbing what we're talking about here? Okay. 
John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So when he's wanting you to know what eternal life is, it's not extended life, though it is extended. It is knowing Christ. It's knowing God. It's having a personal relationship with him. Philippians 3, 7. But what things were gained to me, these I've counted loss for Christ. Yet, indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness. Again, that's the old man. The old man is not going to be righteous, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Jesus said it this way, John fifteen four: Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. In other words, you're going to have to get so close to Jesus that he's your source of life. You're not trying to do things for Jesus. You're now attached to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's giving you things to do. He's he's producing fruit. You're not producing fruit. If you're the one producing the fruit, it's your fruit. It's not divine fruit. But if you, by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, are letting the life of Christ flow through you, he's producing fruit, you're bearing fruit. All right? How do we come to know Christ as our very life? Number one, by the word. By the word. And number two, and that by the spirit. I don't doubt your intellectual capabilities, I don't doubt that you can read the Bible and come to understand it. But you cannot apply that book. It is a divine book. And in order for that to be an understandable thing to you, you have to come to the point where the Holy Spirit is the one who's applying that word in your life. So applying the word and that by the Spirit. Wrong ways of knowing Christ. There are some wrong ways to do it. Number one, leaving the word of God to discover the real Jesus on our own. If, the author wrote, if we leave the realm of the spirit wrought and taught word of truth in an effort to know Christ more personally, and by the way, I want you to know that these are quotes coming from the author, okay? I'm, I'm not plagiarizing anything. These are not my words. These are words that are coming from your author. Uh, you can find these on pages 167 through 174. And that was the whole point of the book, uh, of using the book. If we leave the realm of the spirit wrought and taught word of truth in an effort to know Christ more personally, some seeming angel of light, some denizen of the dark, or an overheated imagination will have us thrilling over a Jesus who is not the Christ. This is, this is part and parcel of the things like the Jesus, um, what was it called, the Jesus movement, the knowing the real Jesus or something along those lines. This is where people... Well, let me go on with this next paragraph. I think you'll follow it. Many confuse organized church for the Bible and think by leaving the church, they can be free to know the truth. 
But often this exodus from the church is the exodus from the word of God, and that leaves them with no true authority for finding the very Christ they think they will find by their freedom. Christ is found for us in the scriptures. That's where he is. And as a matter of fact, remember how he told the, the uh, Pharisees, you search the scriptures daily, for in them you think you will find eternal life. They speak of me. So the scriptures speak of Jesus. So if we're going to find Jesus, it's by the word, through the spirit. All right? That's how you're going to find him. But there are some people who think, you know, the church is wrapped up in so much of its doctrines and stuff like that. I'm just, I just feel suffocated in the church. The church is organized mess, and I don't want to be in that organized mess. Boom! They break out of that, and they think they'll find a Jesus, the real Jesus. And as they break out of this church suffocation, their search for the real Jesus leads them to crazy things. Um, there are books, and plenty of them, that have been written that allege to be gospel books. Um, there's a, the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Barnabas. There's a, all of those were available to the church fathers. They looked them all over and said, that's, that's not legitimate. This is, this is not a good book. This is, these are Gnostic materials. These, these are not true Gospels. But people who want to leave the church or want to leave the Bible to find the real Jesus will find those books right there and say, look what the church kept from us. Here were all these books, these secret books that we should have been knowing about. And if we'd only known about these books, we'd have found the real Jesus. Did you know that when Jesus was a boy, when people would throw rocks at him because he was so good that he would just raise his hand and turn them into doves and they'd fly off? Did you know that when Jesus was nursing, when he was very young, he looked up at his mother and said, I'm the son of God, you know. No, I I didn't know that. How did you not know that? It wasn't in the Bible. Yes, but you see, you had that stuff hidden. It almost reminds me of Genesis chapter 3. You will not surely die. He knows that the day you eat of this, you'd be like him. That's what he's keeping from you. And so in their desperate search to find the real Jesus, because maybe somebody in the church made them mad. Maybe they wanted to do something and somebody in the church said, you can't do that. That, that, That's a wrong thing to do. Maybe somebody stupidly said something in their own flesh that may have taken his flesh or her flesh and upset them. So away they ran. Believing now that being free from the suffocation of the church, they'll find the real Jesus. No, you won't. That's not how you find him. Not if you're going to leave the word of God. You can't leave the word of God and find the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let me go on further. The, uh, the wrong way of uh, knowing Jesus is distorted views of what the Bible says based on personal experience or interpretation. Then, too, For many Christians, their knowledge of God and their attitude toward him are based on and controlled by circumstances and or their personal condition rather than the word of God. They judge him for what they feel he is doing for them or seemingly is not doing for them. I prayed and God didn't answer my prayer. Therefore, I don't think that that there is a real God. I don't think there is a, a Jesus I'm going to find out who the Jesus is. So they go to the, the Buddhists, and they see if they can find out who Jesus is from the Buddhists. Uh, they go to um, 
the Norse kings, the Vikings, and see if they can find the real Jesus there. They're looking for someone that will satisfy them for their own personal condition. Sometimes it's, uh, once again, it's something that somebody said to them or did to them, or they had a bad experience, or um, maybe someone died that they didn't think should die. And with that, that person's death, because that person died, they're mad at God. And so now they're going to look for a different Jesus, a Jesus you wouldn't find in that stuffy old church. Focusing on the old nature, the default. <clears throat> the wrong way of knowing Jesus is trying to know him through your own intellect. Your intellect gets bothered by details too. Your intellect's affected by your experiences, your biases, all the things you have like that, so you wind up not being able to think properly. Chapter 37 said this, He is our all, focused on the truth of Jesus. Too many believers view Jesus geographically, in heaven, a very long way from here. We cannot be near him because he's so far away. While it is true that the risen Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is seated in heaven at the Father's right hand, it is also true that he is always a thought away, a prayer away. It is also true that he left us his spirit living in us as our comforter, guide, and teacher forever. We are united, joined with Christ, so that we, where he is, we are, and where we are, he is there. Okay? So there, there are some who talk about Jesus being in heaven, um, geographically far from us, and because he's geographically far, we can't be near him. We can hope, but we can't. Listen to what Colossians chapter 2 says. This, is, this deals with the old man first. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. Uh, that all says if you don't do those things, you'll be justified before God. Which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, <clears throat> you're not going to escape sin by going someplace else. Okay. <clears throat> if then you were raised with Christ, so this is the new man now. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Now, if Christ is sitting in the right hand of God and you're seeking those things which are above, is he asking you to, to go to Elon Musk and ask you in one of those rockets and see if you can soar up someplace to get to heaven? How would you seek those things? Is that not a thought? Is that not just being able to think and pray and say, Lord Jesus, what are the things that are of you? Is it not just reading the word of God and knowing what the word of God says? That's a thought away. So even though he's seated at the right hand, geographically, he's right with you all the time. As soon as you seek those things, or as he said it here, <coughs> set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. <coughs> when you are anxious... When something's coming up that's got you so disturbed that you're anxious about it. 
Notice what it says here. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what will happen? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now notice, if you're anxious, that's a thought, right? So what does he tell us to do about that anxious thought? Using that same kind of thought, go to prayer. Take that thing to prayer. So as soon as you take it to prayer, Jesus, who's at the right hand of the Father, is also praying. The Holy Spirit that's living with you is also praying, making intercession for you. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is our head. When we see Jesus Christ as the sovereign Lord of the universe, we acknowledge him to be the ruler of our personal lives and our circumstances. That means the old man is not. He's not the ruler. When we're acknowledging Jesus Christ as the sovereign Lord, Jesus is the ruler. He is our head, and we are his body on earth. He is providing our circumstances and guiding us in them. He knows where he's going with them. Our response is to be trust, not complaint, not questioning his integrity. Say, why is this happening to me? Why is this going on? Why am I having to go through this right now? Why is this happening? You're not questioning his integrity. You're not questioning what's going on. It's to trust. That's our response. That is what this author is trying to get to us right away. Trust is the whole key in this element, this whole thing here. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are working together with those circumstances. One, to change our mind to think like Christ. Two, to change our heart to be like Christ. Three, to change our desire and our will to the desires and will of Christ. Four, to make us holy, just like Christ. And five, to make us sons of God. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are working together with those circumstances for those five reasons. There may be far more than that. I'm just giving you five that I think you can see from the Scriptures itself. He's wanting you to think like Jesus, to be like Jesus, to desire like Jesus, to be holy like Jesus, and to be the Son of God. He's our intercessor. Therefore, Hebrews 7.25 says, He is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Romans 8.33 says, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. So if God's justifying you, who do you think is going to defy God to bring a charge against his elect? Who is he that condemns? It's Christ that died and furthermore is also risen. So Christ did it. Who can possibly come against Christ to condemn you? If Christ is the one who set you free, then who is it that could condemn you? <clears throat> At the right hand of God also makes intercession for us. Once again, these notes are taken from the books, pages 172 to 174. When the believer sins, his relationship to the Father is not affected. In other words, he doesn't stop being a child of God. But his fellowship with him is impaired. His fellowship with him is impaired. It is for this self-induced exigency that we need the Lord Jesus at the Father's right hand as our advocate and intercessor. When we break fellowship through sin, 
we have an advocate with the Father, even Jesus Christ the righteous, says First John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. We have an advocate with the Father who's making intercession for us the very moment we do. Now, that also means that we are now in a place of, as we go on to the next, when the, <clears throat> that, <clears throat> excuse me, when the believer fails to confess, that is, agree with God, our sins, when we fail to confess our sins, that is, we fail to agree with God or to judge ourselves in the matter of sin, we must be chastened. Because he's already borne the wrath of God on the cross, he's able to chastise us instead of destroy us. There are many Christians who do not believe it is necessary to confess sins. We do not confess sin because God is unaware of them. We do not confess sins because they were not paid for on the cross. We confess, and and believe me, I'm knowing this one because... um, there were people that, that we knew in Branson that believed exactly that, that your confession of sin is what, what saves you. It's not Christ on the cross. That sounds too Baptist to them. They didn't like that idea. It is that you confess your sins. And I said, okay, brother, let me ask you something. If you're heading down the road and you run a stoplight, that would be sin, would it not? Yes, that would be sin. Okay, well, if you run that stoplight and you don't confess it and you get hit by a car right then, where would you go when you died? He said, hell. Hell, why would you go there? Because I didn't confess it. I said, it wouldn't be because Christ kept you from it? Well, Christ is a good thing to have too, uh, but you've got to confess some things. Now, kids, I I want you to know, all of it was paid for at Calvary. You're you're confessing it is not paying for it. You're confessing it is not getting it rid of. That was done by Christ. So let me let me go on further. We do not confess we do not confess sins because they were not paid for on the cross. We confess sins to bring our minds into conformity to that of God's. We are agreeing with him that what we did was sin and against God. We are not excusing ourselves as if sin was not against God. In other words, you don't say to God, did you see that? Then good, I don't have to tell you about it. It's not because he's unaware of what we did. He's totally aware of what we did. Matter of fact, he's not only aware of it, he knows why. He knows our motive in the whole thing. So we're not confessing it to help him know what we did. We're confessing our sins to let him know, I agree with you. What I did was blatant, rebellious sin. I did what I wanted to do. I rebelled against you and did this. I'm agreeing with him. And this is what the scriptures say. If we confess, that is, agree with God, he is faithful, and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm coming to agree with him. I'm not asking him to pay for that. It's already paid for. Does that make sense? Already paid for. Okay. <clears throat> the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit 
is to reveal to us the Lord Jesus as our new life and to occupy our minds and hearts with him. When we sin, because we're breaking that fellowship, we grieve the whole thing is vital. And brings us into the light as Jesus is in the light. Next thing, he is our life. The resources and motivations of our daily lives are in the Son who is seated at the right hand of the Father. That's resources and motivations of our daily lives are in the Son who is seated at the right hand of the Father. Not be found in the old man or the old life that we just left behind by the work of the cross. Such resources for the new life cannot be found in this sin-cursed world. You're not going to be able to go to a psychologist and get that cleaned up. You're not going to be able to go to a, a, a professor and have him tell you it's okay. No, there are no resources in this sin-cursed world that can help you know the new life. Only the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? The death of the cross stands between us and the old man. It stands between us and the world system. It stands between us and Satan. There are no resources in these three things to give us new life. All use of them must be abandoned for Christ. If the roots of your life are in the old nature, and therefore in the world, absorbing the poison and death of these cross-condemned sources, who, knowing him, is your life. And the next chapter is, of course, that I may know him. All right. Again, that, that may not have been the most exciting of lectures, but the material itself is exciting. It's not found in... ...rituals or in disciplines that we do. Disciplines are good. I think disciplines are well worth it. But if you think your discipline is what's rescuing you or justifying you, you're in trouble. It is not. It's always going to be your faith in Christ that takes care of that. Right? Thoughts or comments? Anybody got anything you uh, want to say? Michael. Well, my was, uh, the verse talks about knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. Uh-huh. Does that fit into all this? It's not knowing him as Savior, to go on beyond that. Yes, to know him in his, in his being raised as the Lord, as the sovereign. Yeah. The power of his resurrection. Yep. Also, uh, I have a friend uh, uh, Charles and we went to school together and he's very much under the impression of the scripture where it says grieve in the Holy Spirit. He believes that you can grieve the Holy Spirit to the point where he will leave you. Like that's literally impossible where it says that uh, because he was like, yeah, Doug, it's Ephesians 4.30. And I was like, well, if you just read a little bit uh, before and after, it literally says we're sealed. Um, so it's saying that you do not grieve the Holy Spirit, which you are, have been sealed. And he feels like he has to do certain things to meet certain criteria. And I'm trying to, uh, me and, actually me and Anthony, uh, we're trying to help him understand is that, you know, like, being in Christ, like actually, this is this is 
really beneficial because it's helping me understand it even more at a deeper level. It's it's like you, it's something that you you don't just pull out of yourself because it was never there to begin with. Yeah, it's something that was put there by God. So yeah, um, that's that's very interesting. That it's so easy to think that like, well, I have to do this. I have to do this when it, it's that's that's not it. Yeah. See, that's the default. It's the only other way we know. We 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 almost life thing, and then we. Now we'll go back to do the old way. It's the default. A part of us, yeah, it's, it's almost like it feels weird. That's not contributing. Exactly. You know, you trust That's right. That is right. He's he's got to make it where. Yeah, well, yes, you're right. Amen. Good point. If you did that, you could be forgiven because you were bad, and you couldn't confess after you were bad. You know what I'm saying? So how does that Yeah. Well, all I have to do is look at it and say, is that really true? Is confessing what, what uh, is that what's going to say? Oh, yes. Let me take it just simply out on 64 Highway. I know the speed limit is 65 out there. And every time I make a choice to say 75 is really what I want to drive at, have I not made a rebellious choice to do things my own way? Now, granted, it's not suicide, but I'm the one who thinks in terms of degree, not the father. Sin. You understand what I'm saying? It's, it's all under one big condemnation. Every rebellion, every way of doing things my own way, a big condemnation umbrella. So it's, it's me that makes the degrees in what they are. Because I, I want there to be some way for me to be maybe a little bit holier. But I don't know that suicide is what would condemn you. It is not trusting Christ. Now, that may have condemned you. If what you're saying is, I'm going to take my life because I don't trust Christ, then now you... you and you hear people talk about how that person was not with Jesus, and you hear other people saying, no, they couldn't be with Jesus because look what they did. And you're... Yeah, here's, here's where I come on that one. This is, this is just for me. I've done a lot of funerals. But my father-in-law gave me advice one time, and he said, well, let me tell you this. If you're going to be that, that preacher guy, don't you ever preach somebody into heaven or preach them into hell. So I don't even understand what you mean by that. Well, it's not mine. That's me. I can't know that. That's not in my experience. I can know that if they trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that based on the word of God, they might be there. I'm not trying to be... Um, wishy-washy in the thing. I just don't know who's trusting Christ. I know lots of really good Mormon people. But I know that we're not trusting the same Jesus. I can say that Jesus has a place for them. But if they didn't trust that, I don't know that I can say that. We can say to be absent with the bodies, be present with the Lord. I, I don't usually like to talk about the... They might be in heaven, they might be in hell, or 
<laughs> You're, that would, they, might is all I could ever get out. Go to the Lord in prayer. Anybody can pray the wishes to pray. Thank you for your uh, 